This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So this issue is really a question about voter and election integrity. And what is interesting is that there apparently is a voter integrity zealot out there. His name is Harry Waite from the town of Dover, Wisconsin, or but he is one of these people who apparently hyperventilates about the accuracy of voting and the risk of voting fraud. But in the very arcane nuances of how you get absentee ballots in Wisconsin, Harry Waite found a legitimate cybersecurity risk. In this episode, Matt and myself take a deep dive into internal control failures around cyber risks in the state of Wisconsin electoral system. We draw some interesting lessons for the cybersecurity and compliance professional. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of Compliance into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take up a cybersecurity risk issue that Matt wrote about in an interesting blog post entitled On Wisconsin and Cybersecurity Risk. So, Matt, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, welcome back. Hello, Tom, and uh, good to be here to talk about all things Wisconsin and cybersecurity. So, Matt, I would opine that you typically don't read about Wisconsin and or right-wing nutbags from the great state of Wisconsin. Nevertheless, this particular gentleman raised some interesting cybersecurity issues and not simply just cybersecurity issues, the risk management around those. So why don't you give us a little background to this? So this issue is really a question about voter and election integrity. And what is interesting is that there apparently is a voter integrity zealot out there. His name is Harry Waite from the town of Dover, Wisconsin, or city of Wisconsin. I, I don't know Dover. But he is one of these people who apparently hyperventilates about the accuracy of voting and the risk of voting fraud. Never mind that vote fraud is not a real thing. But in the very arcane nuances of how you get absentee ballots in Wisconsin, Harry Waite found a legitimate cybersecurity risk. It is obscure and specific to one voter at a time, but a risk is a risk. What he found was that when a voter in Wisconsin logs on to the state's online election portal to request an absentee ballot. All that person needs to do 
is enter their name and their date of birth. And then the election board will send you an absentee ballot to the address of your choice in case you might temporarily be at some other location, not your address of record with the state. So Mr. Waite, the voter fraud conspiracy nut, as far as I can tell, he conducted an experiment where he logged on to the election portal and then he entered the name of two well-known Wisconsin politicians. One was Robin DeVos, who is a Republican and the Speaker of Wisconsin's State Assembly. And the other was Corey Mason, who is a Democrat and the mayor of Racine, Wisconsin. And I do know Racine. I once drove through there back in the 90s. Lovely town right on Lake Michigan. But anyways, Harry Waite logs on and essentially requests absentee ballots for Mr. DeVos and Mr. Mason to be sent to Harry Waite's home address. And then he recorded all of this and posted it on Twitter and social media and then proudly declared that, therefore, Wisconsin's system of managing absentee ballots must be faulty. It has created great consternation among election officials in Wisconsin. I think they don't quite know what to do about this because their primary is on August 9th. We don't know much more about the political ramifications of this, but credit where credit is due, even a crazy broken clock is right at least twice a day. And Harry Waite found a legitimate cybersecurity issue in the absentee voting system used by the state of Wisconsin. And the reason this is such a fascinating example of risk assessment is because I was looking at this, and I think a lot of IT auditors would also look at that system I described where you just log on and you need the name and the date of birth. And my first thought was, wouldn't this be something where you need multi-factor authentication? And we've all done that, even if you don't know the term MFA, but you try to log on and the computer system says, we're going to send you a one-time code to your cell phone and enter the one-time code and then enter your password and then we get in. It's a very common technique and it would, I think, greatly resolve a lot of the issue for that Harry Wade had discovered. But that's the whole point here, Tom. Is this a fascinating example of what cybersecurity risks are, how you would assess them. Are they severe risks? Are they small risks? Are they pervasive but simple? And all of it could probably have been solved if the IT system had been designed with better internal controls. And they weren't. And so here we are. But that's not really the point that I got out of your blog post, Matt. I thought you took it a step further because you said, yes, they could have been designed with better internal controls. They weren't. But now let's take a look at what is the risk here, and then yeah. let's consider the risk and go back and, of course, remediate, but use that same analysis on the front end that you just said, which are put the internal controls in. So why don't you maybe spend a little time talking to us about risk and risk assess, the assessment of specific risk for the failure of uh, this cyber risk? It's interesting. You could think about risks, and let's stick with election integrity. You can think about that in a couple of different ways. You could have a risk that is pervasive and widespread, such as anybody could log on to the online portal and then steal a absentee ballot or two or three or maybe 10. So it's a pervasive risk, but I wouldn't say it's a severe risk because nobody is going to use that technique to steal 40,000 absentee ballots. You would need to do it all over the state of Wisconsin. You'd need to do it over the course of many weeks to avoid suspicion. 
And why would you do that? Because there are easier ways to tip an election if you were an adverse threat actor out there who wanted to do that. When Russia wanted to sway the outcome of elections, they didn't bother with that in 2016. They just flooded social media with pro-Trump ads or anti-Hillary ads. And they figured that was easier to do. It's cheaper to do. It wasn't at the time clear whether or not that would or wouldn't be illegal to do. And you could just put it out there and see what happens. And of course, they did that to great effect because for the first time in, I think it was 30 years or so, Wisconsin did flip from a Democratic state to Republican state when Donald Trump, and that was what Russia wanted to see happen. So that was a very different sort of tactic for risk of swaying the wrong way. Or second way that you could maybe try to sway an election would be not to steal ballots one at a time, but hack into the system that tabulates the votes. <clears throat> and then you would change the vote totals, say, at the central hub in, I don't know, in the state board of elections or something like that, however they run it in Wisconsin. But rather than skim off the top all over the place for weeks on end, ballot by ballot, just hack into the central database the night of the elections and change the totals. Now, that's a very specific risk. It isn't pervasive. You have to hit one target at one time. It's also going to be very difficult to do because those systems are well protected. They're not perfect. There are attacks against these systems. There were attacks and probes by Russia and China, supposedly in 2020 and in, probably in 2016. I wouldn't be surprised if they're probing again. But that's going to be very hard to do. So if a attack a threat actor wanted to change an election that way, they could either try broad, mile-wide, inch-deep tactic of stealing absentee ballots. Is that really going to be effective if you're the attacker? Or you could try this very specific, deep, difficult attack that if you succeed, you've succeeded. Because once you change the total, nobody really knows what the total now you've created the chaos. That so it's a lesson on for IT risk managers and I guess audit executives, chief risk officers to think through. What's the big risk we're worried about? The big risk we're worried about in election integrity is we get the answer wrong. Then how would that actually happen? What are the various ways you could do it? Would people actually try? to change an election one absentee ballot at a time where they need to do that 20 or 30,000 times over. Who would do that? Why would Vladimir Putin try to do that? Why would Beijing or North Korea try to do that? That's going to be a big hassle. So we should instead, we, the risk officers, think through place to put our fortifications is going to be around the system that tabulates because that's going to be the one that if it fails, it is a catastrophic failure. If any one or two absentee ballots fail, that's going to be really annoying for the absentee voter who doesn't get their ballot, but it's not going to invalidate the system for the entire state of Wisconsin. So I'm not making light of what Harry Waite discovered. I'm glad he discovered it. We should fix it. But it isn't the more that Harry Waite and others have made voter integrity or voter fraud out to be. Voter fraud is not ever going to be a big thing. But attacking the integrity of the vote system at the central level, that is potentially a big thing. So it's just a refresher in how to, what are the risks to my objective of running a fair election? 
Who would do that? What would their motivations be? How would that work? How am I therefore going to reverse engineer the internal controls I want to focus on first? And we can talk a bit about multi-factor authentication and what Harry Waite discovered because I still have a bone of contention with the state of Wisconsin for setting up its system that way. But those are the sort of big lessons that an IT audit executive or a chief risk officer might want to think about here. It's a really good discussion or good treatment of evaluating risks. Can we take your term pervasive risk and apply that to intellectual property? So for instance, the formula for Coca-Cola, would that same type of analysis apply or would something different apply to the crown jewels if it's not a process, but a thing, whether that thing is intellectual property or a piece of gold? No, I would say that it Intellectual property really is often like a piece of gold. Coca-Cola has only one secret formula for Coke. That's it. D only has one set of special spices for its fried chicken. That's it. The state of Wisconsin does not have only one ballot. It has millions of ballots. I think about two or three million voters in total, if I remember my election returns from 2020. So any one particular ballot is not going to have a material effect on the outcome of the election. But there is only one total of votes. And if you knock out that system, then yes, you've created chaos in the election. So that's why I would say pay attention to that central fault that if you know that single point of failure. An absentee ballot is not going to be a single point of failure. There's a zillion points of failure with absentee ballots, but any one of them that fails, it would be like stealing two or three cents from Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is a multi-billion dollar company. Nobody's really going to miss two or three cents from the total balance sheet. But some things such as intellectual property could be a single point of failure if it was important enough to an organization so we could apply the same type yeah. of analysis? I, I absolutely would. Yeah, we definitely, if you want to say that, so the we'll stick with the Coca-Cola secret formula. I assume that might exist on a database somewhere. You would want to have multiple levels of protection there. And one of the best ways to do that, of course, if we're talking about access control, is multi-factor authentication. Probably multiple multi-factors for something as important as Coke's secret formula. But what you really want to do is think through, do we have sufficient access controls? And how much time and resource do we want to devote to implementing a very high wall to scale for the access controls? Really, going back to the absentee ballots in Wisconsin, they had almost no wall to scale for access control. You just needed to know somebody's name and birth date. For better or worse, that is generally going to be publicly available. It's not hard for many people to find. If you want to search on the dark web, you could probably find that kind of personal data on anybody. A lot of people might post it on their Facebook page or on their LinkedIn profile. How would you scale up the level of access control for absentee ballots? Multi-factor authentication is a great way for that. It's easy to implement. It's scalable. It is very effective because you would need the physical phone for whomever if you wanted to try to steal Speaker DeVos's absentee ballot, you couldn't do that unless you also had his phone to see the one-time code. Now, none of that apparently was existing in the Wisconsin database. Again and again, various cybersecurity people say, implement multi-factor authentication. And if I can get on my soapbox for a minute, CISA, the big regulator for cybersecurity in the United States, they have published multiple bulletins saying for any critical infrastructure, 
like voting integrity, like voting systems, you should have multi-factor authentication for any person trying to log into the database from outside the corporate network, which would be anybody trying to log into the state's portal to get an absentee ballot. That would also be the case for if you have a outside sales system force and your contracted salespeople want to log into your data to get the customer data for the prospects they're looking to sell, and they're trying to log in from Starbucks, multi-factor authentication, that should be there. CISA has pretty much required that for critical infrastructure businesses, banks, pipelines, energy, but any business should be thinking through what is our risk of some sort of access fraud, and should we have stronger access controls what is a good, easy way to do that? It's multi-factor authentication. And it's not new. And people have been talking about it for quite a while. Nor is this risk of election integrity new. We've been talking about it for years at this point. And so I'm surprised that there are still state election offices out there that have not implemented this. So we had a question come in, Matt. So we're going to oh. get to take a question from our audience, or perhaps it's a comment. But it's a question I was going to ask you. I'm going to tell you my question, then I'm going to read the comment. How do you manage the either the expectations about a cyber breach, if there is one, similar to Wisconsin or similar to the Coca-Cola one, if it's a relatively non-severe risk? And for Coca-Cola, I'm going to say they have a cyber breach, which allows people to steal monies from Coke machines, which would not be material to Coca-Cola as opposed to perhaps losing the formula for Coke. Now, Mike Ward has phrased it much more articulately, so I'm going to read his post. Great discussion. I respect. I respectfully suggest that you are underestimating the impact on the confidence of voters in the result. It is much more important that voters perceive that votes cannot be easily, excuse me, easily cast improperly. Telling them it doesn't matter because it can't happen often enough is not building trust and confidence. This is different from other risk scenarios, or at a minimum, should you redefine the hazard to be lost confidence in the integrity of the outcome and not simply the actual shifting of the outcome? And I guess the question would be at the end, do we need to have a discussion about either redefining the outcome or trying to manage the expectations or outflow from the outcome? I think Mike actually raises a good and fair and insightful point, is that the real threat that Harry Waite discovered isn't so much a material chance that the election is going to be gone wrong, but it's a slow, moldy eating the control environment here, which in audit parlance, but really it's about people losing faith in the ability of their votes to count. So I would say the simplest way to solve that problem, it would have been to implement multi-factor authentication before. I really am astonished that how would a state not have put that into place? But that is a simple way to do it because MFA cracks down on these sort of identity frauds dramatically. It's very difficult to crack MFA. You can't easily intercept that one-time code going to somebody's phone and pick it out of the ether. So I would say the easiest way to address that risk would have been to think it through from the start and realize this would be a problem to our control environment. We should avoid it by implementing MFA now. And that discussion should have happened in say 2019 or 2018 or 2021, not eight days before the primary election. On the other hand, we are where we are. It 
is still accurate to say, and if I were the head of elections in a state suffering this problem, I would trot it out to say, the fact remains that voter fraud is extremely rare. Most people who do it are doing it to prove a point, much like Harry Waite. I know that it's impolitic to point out that mostly it's Donald Trump supporters who are saying voter fraud is rampant. And most voter fraud is actually, so far that we've seen in the news, been committed by Trump supporters who are convinced it's so rampant, I should do it too. So I'm going to vote for Trump twice, or I'm going to steal my mother-in-law's ballot or something. All of that has to be called out constantly and reminded that we do this piecemeal. Harry Waite did this. I think he attempted his to get a total of 12 absentee ballots, 10 of them with the permission of the others, who I think were also voter fraud conspiracy activists. The only two that he did without their knowledge were DeVos and Mayor Mason. Still, the margin of error in Wisconsin is routinely tens of thousands for a statewide election. And that's a close one. If it's a lopsided election, it's well more than that. So there's still going to be a marketing communications campaign that has to be waged here, even with people like Harry Wade probably never going to believe you're telling them is accurate while it is. But back to Mike's fundamental point, doesn't this harm the control environment and the confidence and the integrity? Yeah, it does. And it never should have happened because the solution to all this was pretty easy if they had just sat down and thought it through at the beginning. And as I've said, cyber people have been talking about MFA and election integrity for years at this point. So there is no reason why it shouldn't be widespread. And yet here we are. So a really interesting discussion today around internal controls, integrity of internal controls, risk management of controls, and even the assessing of risks, all in the context of the upcoming Wisconsin primary election. So I can't wait to see what next week brings us, Matt. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I've linked to Matt's blog post on this subject matter in our show notes. I'd like to tell you about a great new show on the Compliance Podcast Network, The Corruption Files, where with my co-host, Mike DeBernardis, partner at Hughes Hubbard, we take a look at some of the most significant FCPA and international anti-corruption enforcement actions over the past 15 years in the modern era of anti-corruption and FCPA enforcement. It's a great retrospective on some of the most significant enforcement actions. So check it out on the Compliance Podcast Network. The Corruption Files. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.